Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making the Right Play. I'm your host, Ishii, with my co-host, Manit. Today, we have two special guests on the show, Navidu and Manelli. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. How are you? Good to hear. Not bad, not bad. Great to have you guys on the show. Uh, so, Navidu, I've known you for, you know, a long time. So, you know, we have history that goes way back and, uh, well, quite a while back. And I first met you when I started, like, getting into MUN in, uh, at Gateway, right? Uh, and you know you were like a mentor to me because I was in your comp. That was my first conference, and you know you've you've gone on to make big moves since you know you graduated from uh, uh, Imperial and you did your masters at Zurich, uh, and you know you, uh, you're a consultant at uh, Deloitte. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you know, uh, as you can see, my Anand is a very impressive person, and uh, we wanted to have him on the show. And Manit will tell you why Manali is uh, as impressive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> For the record, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lot older. He's a little bit older than me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, when I, I I met Monili, I think through mo- mostly through mutual friends when when I was in when I was back in high school because I was completely outside that that entire circuit. I think I met like Isuru and then like one thing led to the other. Um, so I, I believe Monili. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if I'm butchering anything, but like Monili is a economics and business student at UCL. And uh, fun fact, I actually applied to that program too, and I got in. And like I could have been in the same program, but like I decided to come to the north. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a that's a conversation that both of us have all the time. I think I, I share very very interesting conversations with Monili uh, most of the time, and we like I think uh, when when university gets tough. Like Monelli is very, very much like a go-to person for me, uh, I think. And uh, she's also she does like a lot, lot of uh, fun stuff. Even even Sri Lanka, she's uh, she's a founder of uh, Light LK. So that's uh, that's a community project that's you know focused on like mental health. And she does like she has like multiple interests. And I feel like I don't know the entire story, and I want to come to to the entire podcast too. And I think that she's definitely like a very impressive person to uh, to talk to. Yeah. Cool. Cool. We, we are definitely hiring the two of you to do eulogy set up. I don't see some personal statements, but okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll just have like hype men at your funerals. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you want that. Uh, like, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so both of you were, you know, students in London. Like, how is that whole thing? Like, I mean, I can imagine, you know, like, I, I live. Well, when I was at college, I lived pretty close to San Francisco and kind of a big city, but like I, I was like, I wasn't in the heart of it, like, you know, uh, LSE or uh, Imperial, right? So how, how was that experience as a whole, really? Um, all right, I'll go first. Um, yeah, really good, really good. Um, so in terms of living and so on, you mentioned uh, generally in the UK, the first year, you're definitely in student halls, which is great. Mm-hmm. I, my hall was literally just across the road from me, so... Uh, I actually did wake up five minutes before an exam once and still managed to, you know, surprisingly make it on time. Um, it, it, London's a very vibrant, you know, diverse city, right? So, you know, you uh, you wouldn't hear the same accent or see someone who looks just like the person you saw five minutes ago, uh, mm. you know, any day. You, you'd, you'd see and hear people from all sorts of places, which is great. So there's plenty of kind of neurodiversity, a uh, lot of different, you know, thoughts out there. Uh, and you know, it, it, the city is active twenty four seven. So you know, it's really it's a really good student experience. Um, moving on, second, third, fourth, uh, uh, and fourth years, uh, you 
then kind of grow out of that bubble, you know, find mm-hmm. your own flatmates, live alone, and so on. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get to try something different. Um, maybe a bit different when you go out of London because there's obviously more space, things cost less, and so on outside of London. But as far as London goes, that's that's yeah. Plus uh, the benefit is you know the legal age is eighteen, so we don't have the restrictions you guys have. Well, legal age is eighteen. It's nineteen in Canada, right? Oh, it's eighteen in it's Quebec. 18. 18 in Montreal. Like, yeah. so many people come here because of that. Like, I, I, I've heard at least 15 people coming here because the legal age is 18. So, that, was, that was the, yeah, very inspiring. Not that either. Yeah, I haven't made, I haven't made use of many laws in Canada, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were both under anyway. Yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of you are 17, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's, that's like weird, like, because, like, I don't know, I feel like maybe this is just Stanford, but, like, in the U.S., it's more of a trend to, like, stay on campus. Uh, like, especially if you're an international student, right? Because, I don't know, if I try to live in, like, Palo Alto, like, the, the cost of living is just insane. And, like, I'd imagine, like, the cost of living is pretty high in London as well, right? Like, how do you, like, how do you manage to offset that as, like, a student? So, typically, in second year, you often, you know, flat share with two, three other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, naturally, your rent is split among three, four other people. Right. Um, right. London itself is very expensive, but I think it also comes with, you know, forcing yourself to be a bit more independent, even just, you know, flat hunting itself. You learn so much about yeah. the property industry, communicating with agents, just really forces you out of that, you know, student bubble into a progressive adult. Um, so that's something that I really enjoyed in my second year, despite it being a bit of a hassle. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and in terms of finances and so on, a lot of people, you know, by the time they get accustomed to the whole university way of working, being independent, uh, taking charge of your own you know, studies and so on, you also end up, you know, doing a lot of, you know, uh, you know, some people do internships. Uh, you generally in London internships are always all, uh, always paid, which is I think a, a good thing because you know it makes those people yeah. do actually take it seriously and also get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not just an opportunity for people who are already well off to kind of you know do work and so on. Yeah. Uh, you have plenty of opportunities within university as well. So in my case, for instance, I remember in second year, you're generally considered you know not experienced enough for a proper job, yeah. but also you don't want to kind of you know uh, you know do something too odd or too irrelevant to kind of your goals. So uh, we did summer research programs and so on uh, within the university. Uh, so you have your bursary and so on. So there is that as well. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Does that answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, on mine, uh, so uh, both of you have like different, like your you choice like different streams in terms of like, uh, Billy Namitu, you did uh, bi- biomedical engineering. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Molly is going down like the business econ route. Um, so like how... How were like the programs like on an academic level and like what what kind of what kind of academic and non academic experiences like what 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 things do you look back to and say like okay like I I enjoy that or I didn't enjoy that. Okay. <laughs> do you want cool. me to go? Ah uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah. So when I first started applying to uni, um, like yeah. most of you, I applied to both America and the UK. Yeah. And growing up, I think I always lived maybe the American education system was for me just because it was very holistic and gave you so much diversity and flexibility in sort of I guess curating your own degree with you know having a separate major and having a separate minor but then having applied to UCL specifically and the current program that I am doing 
it's by far perhaps the most diverse degree that I could do anywhere in the UK, I think. So officially, I do economics and business with Eastern European studies. Yes. So that okay. includes okay. disciplines like economics, business. I do sociology modules, philosophy, politics, history, pretty much everything. And okay. especially this term itself, I've um, you know started corporate law and a film module as well. So for me, I think personally, choosing UCL in the UK sort of allowed me to kind of get an American degree, but in three years. And still okay. kind of curated around the kind of interests that I typically have. Yeah. So for me, I I feel like it's although although typically um, UK degrees tend to be very focused on just one discipline, I was able to kind of satisfy all the other interests I usually have with the degree that I have right now. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so when I applied, I think. Uh, Especially in school, you should have probably noticed, you know, it, I I had a lot of interest around and I wasn't quite sure yeah. what exactly I liked. I was, it almost came down to a process of elimination when trying to figure out what I wanted to study at university. And somehow biomedical engineering made the mark because it was the most, you know, it was the most diverse. So I did economics and so on at A-levels as well. But I, uh, I felt like, you know, that was something you can pick up on and work uh, uh you know, as you go through life, any point along the way, whereas the kind of, you know, uh, STEM side of things, you did need a good, you know, foundational grooming to be able to pick it up later on. It's not something you can just, you know, 10 years down the line, be like, oh, you know what, I want to do uh, physics now, something like that. So that's, that's why I first decided to kind of go into the engineering sphere of things. Biomedical engineering, it's a lot of people ask me what it is. I still don't know how to, you know, explain what exactly it is. I think it's anything that improves the quality of human life. So it's very multidisciplinary. We used to do a little bit of electrical engineering. So let's say you're thinking of, you know, x-rays and ECG scanners and heart rate monitors and blah, blah, blah. A little bit of mechanical engineering. If you're thinking prosthetics, uh, bone, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, replacements, hip replacement and so on. And that obviously connects to biomaterials, uh, uh, genetics, all of that. So I did have quite a kind of diverse uh, uh, first two years uh, and programming as well, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, by the time you get to your second and third year, I think in most, you know, biomed engineering programs around the world, regardless of university, not just Imperial, you get to really pick your own modules and it's not limited to just the sciences. So right from the start, I also did a few humanities modules. So things like languages, uh, and in my third and fourth year, I did finance and financial management, uh, um, technology entrepreneurship, where we had people coming, flying in from the Silicon Valley and so on to give talks and okay. so on as well. Um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, all of that. And interestingly, uh, in in third year, you get to kind of you know pick your speciality, whether you want to go on a purely mechanical stream or a purely electrical stream and so on, or the general stream. And around that point in time, I also knew that I didn't see myself being in academia on the long run. So I stayed on the general stream. That way I mm-hmm. managed to get a little bit of all of these different disciplines mm-hmm. rather than, you know, purely focusing on, say, just mechanical engineering or so on. Uh, so yeah, that was my my journey through university. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, oh, go curious, ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just curious, like, so you guys spoke a lot about like the diversity that comes with like, you know, uh, your, uh, uh, educational experiences in, in the UK, right? At Imperial and at LSE. Uh, like, is that, like, I'm curious, like, because, like, I'm a big fan of the US education system just because, you know, you don't have the whole, like, elective nonsense, right? You, you do whatever you want at whatever point in time as long as it completes your major, right? And your kind of prereqs, right? Uh, but, oh, did I freeze out? 
I think I froze out. Okay, no, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm just curious. Is that like so? Is that like diverse kind of selection of courses? Just actually just part of that degree program, or is it something you would do by choice? Um, by ch- so a bit of both, I think. So hmm. the degree program obviously specifies what the library of courses almost you have yeah. available to choose from, but very rarely would I say maybe never is that library just courses offered by that department or that uh, that degree usually you know across departments so I think it's a misconception that a lot of people so I I, I thought of exactly uh, what Ishira said as well around Mm -hmm. when I was applying for university I think it's a misconception that people think uh the UK is you know very uh very a very stringent yeah you don't have diversity to pick Mm -hmm. different courses and so on you know, people generally back in Sri Lanka, especially uh, in high school, have this notion that, yeah. oh, you know, liberal arts colleges and all of that is just a US thing. You can yeah. kind of do window shopping on courses immediately <laughs> and then choose exactly what you want to do and so often. Yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah. That's not really true. I think, uh, and also, um, that's, that's great, but also the risk with that is the lack of kind of, you know, uh, uh, guardrails to make sure people don't uh, certain kids don't spend too much time jumping much time. Yep. and yeah. not actually settling on something so in the UK yeah. I think you have the best of both worlds there so you have kind of safety guardrails in place mm-hmm. to make sure okay you know what you don't steer off the ship too far and if you yeah. do want to entirely overhaul your degree you know there's a procedure for it you know and generally in my experience I know friends who change degree degrees in their first two years and so on uh, the support you get is really helpful to do that but generally you have the diversity to pick courses from across departments, be it business stuff, finance, humanities, languages, all of that, but still stay focused onto the, onto, you know, uh, onto, you know, having the same core modules as part mm-hmm. of the degree you applied for, so that you okay. still finish uh, within a three to four year time frame as well without dragging it on for too long. Yeah. I, I like the whole guardrail analogy. I think that clears it up for me because like, you know, I, I'm almost done with college and I still have the same misconception that you talked about. Yeah, Manit, I think you had a question. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was trying to say that, just just kind of adding on to that, I think the Canadian system is very similar to the, sense, the way Namit described it, I think. And I feel like the advantage of it is that, especially for, like, someone who wants to get into, like, tech or something, like, you need to do, like, this bunch of prerequisite classes, and if you do it in your first two years, I think it really works well for you, like, because you wouldn't know how to interview and all of that if you don't do those things and if you keep exploring. So I feel like, for someone like me, for example, if I knew what kind of industry to get into, like, like a program like that where like I don't I don't need to like shift around or anything would be would be fine. I think it really depends on who you are, I guess, at the end. And like what you're interested yeah. of. And uh, also that's yeah. what kind yeah. of open days and uh, uh, sessions that a lot of universities hold in, in schools and so on is for now, right? To let people yeah. kind of get a tease into what what different courses and modules might entail. It's not it's not like, you know, a couple of decades ago where, you know, we might choose a course without actually having any idea what it entails so it's yeah. they've changed and um, i was just curious as to like how how the both of you kind of think about uh you know like or in this case how you thought about like your life after university and monetary's case like what, what are the thoughts that, that you have right now and like it, how how is the process is it, like daunting like uh, do you do you do you have any detection right now or like i you like, thinking of different kind of avenues as of now like i'm just very curious as to like that entire thought process. Um, yeah, like I said, I 
so so the, the 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 ground rules almost before going into how i approach it i guess is a lot of people think it's very important to have a perfect kind of plan looking yeah. many years ahead of you knowing exactly yeah. what you want to do and so on i think that's very dated i don't think that's necessary <coughs> yes you do have kind of you know short term you know goals that you want to achieve and so on that's important you need you need to work towards something but you don't need to have your entire life planned out because yeah. what that means is you won't be agile enough when it comes to you know unexpected you know you know changes that are thrown thrown along yeah. the way uh, and in terms of jobs as well uh, or whatever you do after university uh, gone are the days when you know people think it's a good thing to be part of one company for many years and show your loyalty yeah, yeah. or now what you what you need is especially when you're young to explore as uh, many different uh, uh, alternatives as possible and try to understand if not for what you like at least what you don't like so you can mm-hmm. then you know focus your energies on something different so that was me during university as well i had no idea what exactly i wanted to do uh, but uh, come say second third year and so on i uh, i sort of figured out and a lot of my friends kind of convinced me as well that while i could be in academia or be doing research and so on uh, that wasn't my forte i liked working with people directly and kind of doing you know uh, taking taking risks uh, self learning new things every every few months and so on uh, and kind of you know um, uh, taking almost a, a, a kind of a leadership role working in different teams and so on more uh, and somehow consulting is something that kept coming up at university as well it was like this you know one buzzword kind of dream job everyone was talking about it no one really knew what it was at university and i don't think a lot of people still do yeah uh, but somehow uh, when you know all of this doesn't matter when it comes to your final uni final year of uni where you start your applications because you suddenly realize at least in the uk one of the most saturated you know graduate job markets in the world you start your application almost a year in advance of you graduating and starting uh, yep. uh, you know getting jobs Uh, and in a market like that although you have a rough idea of okay you might like doing consulting or you might like doing this kind of role it doesn't really matter because you've got to be strategic about where you apply to how many companies yeah. you apply to and so on uh, we can probably talk about like the challenges there later but um, yeah it was a matter of me shortlisting and then you know, seeing what offers i got back and thinking that consulting seemed like you know the perfect the perfect choice for me initially at least because within a few years of my of kick starting my career i get to work on different projects so our projects uh, you know i change projects anywhere between 3 to 6 months regularly mm-hmm. uh, and i get an insight into how you know successful companies or companies are struggling both in the private and public sector and the fintech you know industry as well work mm-hmm. uh, get a lot of experience from the ground up working directly with senior level stakeholders because as consultants when we are hired we are usually hired by the c suite the cios the ceos and so on uh because they are, at the end of the day approve the spending to get in a bunch of consultants and then we get to work with people from all of these different companies you know as a joint group so the amount of information you absorb and the amount of different ways of working and so on that you accumulate within such a short span of your time i thought was fantastic Yeah. Let's say I decide to exit into uh, industry in a few years time, which is a very common thing a lot of consultants do. Uh, I have so many kind of avenues open ahead of me. I don't need to, you know, I I can easily go into a ph- the pharmaceutical industry as much as if I wanted to go into the civil service or to uh, I don't know, 
or to uh, uh, telco, te- telecoms, because I've actually done projects in all three of those things, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I, think. Yeah. I guess, like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people who still doesn't have any idea what consultancy is, but it seems like it's a it's a good mix of, like, you know, working on this. It, yeah, like, it, it seems like it's a very, like, fast-paced, dynamic, and changing environment, really, uh, in pretty much everything. And I think what you said kind of added to that. And, you know, I, I've been hearing a lot of people going into it. Uh, I, I think that you might be the fourth or fifth guest that we've had that has consulting aspirations, is currently in consultancy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. And, like, how was the whole, like, work authorization process, like, being an international student and then going there? And, like, what, what, was the, what were the mechanics of that? Um, if you're referring to kind of visas and all of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as a student, you're on a, uh, if you're an international student, you're on a tier for uh, a student visa and mm-hmm. it's a matter of, so the UK law was that, uh, you need to have a job offer in place before your student visa uh, expires. And then you apply for your work visa within the UK. So it's an upgrade upgrade from your work, student visa to a work visa. Uh, so that puts a lot of constraints on a lot of students because, you know, in your final year of, you know, uni, when you have your project or master's thesis or whatever going on, you are also simultaneously applying for uh, jobs and so on. Uh, a lot of, so a lot of people initially get disheartened when they keep getting rejections and so on initially. But the point is to just keep rethinking your kind of strategy and keep going because you don't know you know, when you might actually get a call back for an assessment center and so on. And uh, what's important is, uh, you know, some people think, oh, you know what, maybe I should apply to smaller places, smaller companies and so on, since uh, uh, the competition might be low. The problem with that is to get a, a work visa, a graduate work visa, uh, the company need to be big enough to be able to afford sponsoring your visa. Yeah. Uh, they use a lot of work work visa sponsors uh, generally pay a, a big fee annually to the home office to yep. have sponsor status. Uh, so whether you like it or not, usually you need to apply to you know pretty big companies who can afford that and who yep. also want all of this international talent, mm-hmm. all of this diversity and so on. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's not easy. It's you know everyone gets kind of disheartened along the way trying to figure out what they might be doing wrong, uh, yep. but. Uh, yeah, generally that's the process. You need a sponsor, and usually most of these companies, like I said, people who companies who actually do need international talent and can sponsor visas, usually have their in-house teams to help with you know the administrative mm-hmm. side of things, getting your application mm-hmm. across, sorting out your right to work and all that. So you don't, as a student, have too much to worry about on that side. You just coordinate with the, uh, the firm that you decide to join eventually, and they help you out through it. Uh, that's anything you want to add? Anything I'm missing? I think you covered it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, from that standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just curious, I'm like, when you listen, are you planning to like uh, move into like a master's program or like are you still like debating those options? Like, uh, I, I was just thinking, just want to know what, what your thought yeah. is. Yeah, I think I'm in like a very experimental phase where I am okay. either open to both a master's and a potential um, job. Um, But I think having said that, I genuinely always enjoyed the learning process, be it at school or at uni. Um, So given the current situation with things and, you know, masters potentially being in an online digital um, environment, I am also leaning towards perhaps, you know, more work experience and internships and potential work experience at the moment. Um, Because I think 
looking back at my two years at university as enjoyable as you know the academic learning experience was i you know thoroughly really enjoyed the social aspect of really meeting people alongside you know learning and now looking back looking at you know my digital term this year i felt like i really yeah. wasn't able to make friends you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. tends to be like such a big part of a masters especially because that's really where you sort of network and meet people um but just because this year has you know obviously been very unpredictable i am very much open to both and in the process of you know applying for multiple internships and masters programs um yeah just keeping my head open for both avenues at the moment got you got you got you i think i think i'm very much in the same place now because like i have the option of doing like a co-terminal masters uh you know at my school and or like you know like starting to feel job offers and things like that and it's like it's a weird time because with covid like it, it plays such a big part in these decisions and it, you know like sure the vaccines up but we don't know what but what the time frame yeah. of that like you know like herd immunity is going to be uh so it, it is interesting and i think like personal circumstances play a lot into that a lot and like you know what is it that like can you like afford to trap water in a positive way you know while you're, you're figuring everything out while you want to figure out the industry for, for like, so, so like in my case like i don't know where i want to work like it, it's been because like I thought I was going into like academia and physics, right? And in my second year, I was like, eh, it's not, it's not real for me. I like, I like learning physics, but learning physics and doing physics are two different things. So yeah, I ended up not wanting to do that. So that now I'm kind of like, I'm, I picked up like this whole like CS part of my kind of resume, right? And I'm trying to like find ways to merge physics, CS, and kind of a love for conservation biology, but there's nothing out there that actually like combines the three, right? So it, it is interesting, but like, yeah, like. 100%. Like, I, I feel like I can relate to what you're saying there. Yeah. I remember actually Monique was, Monique, Mon, at, there were certain points in time where Monique would like see us working or whatever and be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to keep learning for the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, I told her, right, you know, it's, it's great that you want to keep studying and so on. But uh, there is also a limit to the point where you, you only do it until you realize you're actually getting a return out of it. And just yeah. because you go into working or going into doing your own business or whatever, the learning doesn't necessarily have to stop. It doesn't have to be formalized education, right? There's a limit yeah, to exactly. how much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At a point, it stops being useful that you just keep doing formalized, uh, you know, learning throughout and throughout uh, throughout your life. Uh, and just because you go into something else doesn't mean that you stop learning. Like I'm sure, Ishira, like a lot of the companies you were looking at, a lot of internships that you and Manit both have done as well, and in my case as well. Uh, these companies, especially the companies that are big enough to afford and want to get in international talent, uh, invest a lot on learning and development and actually yeah, encourage yeah. you to keep on doing courses, getting certified and so on. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah, no, it's the case with like, I know a few people from like Facebook and Google who come, who've been sponsored by their companies to come and do their PhDs at Stanford, right? Uh, mostly in like AI and things like that. And like, honestly, like, yeah, like I, I completely agree with like the whole, like, you know, it doesn't have to be formal education. Like you can keep learning outside the classroom and like, it's, it's showing because a lot of these companies have like, they've really dumped their like college degree requirements and they're like, you know, if you're a self-talk owner, they'll welcome you with open arms now. Right. Yeah. It's Silicon Valley. So like, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think, I think OB in Canada also is moving in that direction in the sense that like, they don't really like, they don't, now they don't even like look at your grades or anything. Either. They don't like, cause there are some companies that didn't even ask me, like these are like, known companies that didn't even ask me for the transcript so like that, that's that's interesting to me uh for the change like and i th- and i think yeah i agree on this point in the sense that like i th- i feel like i've learned more through internships than like through school in general like 
Yeah. And right now I'm just trying my best to like get out of formalized education as much as I can because I feel like I'm done like it's enough like I'm done like uh, I'm doing a podcast and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel I feel like I'm like done done. I'm trying to like more like I just have to finish like the yearly requirements but like I know I'm going to go into the industry but like, I feel like that's where I, I am. Yeah. and especially with you know like online learning you feel like you are just sticking to like that academic you yeah. know your deadlines mm-hmm. due to lectures because you really don't have that social aspect of uni anyway yeah um, not at all yeah actually i just yeah. remember when manit said that you know they didn't ask for my grades and so on i don't think deloitte even asked me for my cv because they wanted to remove off the bias associated with you know You okay know, how the cv physically looks cuz when you when you when you present a cv you know different okay. people might yeah. have liking towards certain individual items in a cv and so on yeah, and yeah, yeah. you you can't expect graduates applying for their first proper break you know in the in their career <clears throat> to have like the most beautiful cv full of experience right you know i think a yeah. lot of these big companies are now starting to understand right but we need to focus on is more how these kids approach work and yeah. kind of transferable soft skills and so on rather than what's in a glorified cv uh, yeah kind so of touches based on the conversation we had earlier as well around in how do you choose what you want to do and so on you know yeah. even if you don't go into say consulting even if you go into uh, any particular specific industry it doesn't matter because in the first few kind of years of your career all companies should ideally at least start caring about is what did the person get out of the experience uh regardless of whether it was in i don't know e-commerce or coding or shipping yeah. or pharmaceutical yeah. or, or whatever it's it's more the the underlying and underlying skills you picked up anyway i just want to thank you guys for coming on the show and agreeing to do this and uh yeah it's been a fun time for us and uh, i hope you enjoyed it as well thank you so much guys we had a really good time yeah thank you so much yeah, yeah i think we we covered some interesting topics and i think there's like a lot of good content we can pull from this one it's been uh, a longer episode but we can chop that up and that'll be fine for sure yeah thanks for listening to another episode of making the right play you can find our podcast on itunes spotify google podcasts and anchor if you enjoyed this episode please consider subscribing to our youtube channel content This will keep you posted on new episodes, bonus content, and blooper reels. We hope you make the right play.